everyone. Welcome to Healthy Conversations with your host, Nyasha B. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. We've got an exciting and amazing topic. We'll be talking about the future of pharmacy. We'll be looking at challenges and the outlook and opportunities that are there in the sector. So today I'm joined by Mr. Brian Kagoa, who's a colleague and friend within the industry. I've known him for quite a while now. So he's the founder of MedExpress. He has over 12 years experience within the industry, and he's also served on a number of executive committees within the industry, such as the Community Pharmacist Association. Welcome, Mr. Kagoa. Hi, Nyash. How are you? No, I'm good. Thanks. And yourself? I'm great. Happy to be here. Happy to be on the show. Yeah, no, yes, thanks exactly. so much uh, for joining us. We appreciate you being here. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so I think there's so much that we want to learn and unpack mm-hmm. with regard to the retail uh, pharmacy and community pharmacy, I think, as most people know it. You are front-facing in terms of the customers, and you're mm-hmm. also there to help the patient when it comes to serving their needs. So just um, tell us a bit more about that in terms of um, how the industry is progressing, and also you can add in a bit about your background in terms of your role that you've played. Okay. Well, plenty to unpack in that question. Yeah. But um, I, I've been practicing for at least 12 years now. Um, I've been self-employed for at least seven and a half of those years, so I do feel I have a bit of experience. Um, but the thing is, it also depends on, because analysis of the industry depends on who you're asking and what they've experienced before. So it depends on who you're asking. So some people started practicing in the 80s, some the 90s, some the early 2000s. So the lens of, from which one is an, analyzing the industry will definitely differ. Yes. So yeah, for me, it's more, more of a 2010 um, industry analysis onwards. Um, we've been through a lot as well. Um, yeah. So it's different phases. It's just basic uh, business dynamics. Things change across the years, and we've experienced a lot. Okay, so look, I think you play an important role within the industry. Mm-hmm. So you talked about like the early years that you started, and then now you're self-employed. How has that transition been? Well, it's been quite interesting, uh, different experiences. So when I... I uh, looked to open my own pharmacy. It was around the dollarization era. So the economy was booming. There's a lot of money floating around. A lot more disposable income for clients. So it was a good time to, to, to launch. And um, so, yeah, the start was very good. But as we went along the years, uh, I mean, of course, as a nation, we know we went through a lot of socioeconomic challenges. And so you then have to adapt everything. And even your projections for your business viability, everything will change, different experiences, different, yeah, it's been a lot, it's been a lot, yeah. it depends on, I, on what phase you're talking about. Yes, yes no, so I, I think it's not easy, I think, so one, you've mentioned, I think, the transition, but even now, becoming a business owner and operating your own, that's already a, another landscape. You also studied, mm-hmm. I think, further your uh, studies, you did your MBA in between yes. that, so that's a lot to juggle in terms mm-hmm. of understanding. Yeah, yeah. For, for me personally, I love it because my passion is basically in business and business strategy. Yeah. So I love the, the kinks and solving the kinks and really th- looking at things from a holistic perspective. Yeah, from a top analytical perspective. And not, I don't like the, too much the administrative work. I, I like looking more at the numbers and how they make sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably a side that uh, many pharmacy owners, uh, I think, lack. Um, because I know there is a balance of, you know, you're both your practice side mm-hmm. and running your, your administrative side. Um, but there's a lot of knowledge that needs to be uh, learned um, with time when it comes to the industry. So it's quite important. So I like the fact that you've actually gone to school, furthered your studies, and you're also practicing in the industry. Yes, yeah. Initially, when I had this dream, I, 
I didn't have enough confidence because say you're at work, I, I used to work at Plaza Pharmacies and that was a great place, that was a great start for me, great people, yeah. they taught me a lot. But I mean, when you're having these uh, managerial meetings and you're discussing with, the, with, the, with, the, with your superiors, you don't talk at the same level. They're talking about different things, marketing strategies, market penetration and this and that. And you don't really, you're not really talking at the same, yeah, same level. And you then realize you've got a lot of shortcomings. Not only that, even just understanding accounting numbers and yes. human resources. There's so many facets of business. So you're, you're marketing as well. So I, I, I did feel that I needed to gain a bit more knowledge. So that's why I, I, I did an MBA with mm. a, a UK university, University of Gloucestershire. Okay. Nice. Yes, so yeah, it was, I was meant to just uh, boost my confidence. And so that when we discuss, when you're talking about market penetration, at least I know what that is. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, so yeah. I, I do feel it's very, very important because even as I've gone along, um, I've used a lot of my technical knowledge from, from, from the tertiary education, from the master's, so I think it's absolutely crucial and it's one thing that a lot of people point out as a shortcoming for health professionals yeah. because we just think it's automatic, I'm a doctor, I'm a pharmacist, literally open a surgery, open a pharmacy and things start rolling but there's a lot that comes. Yes, yes, I think there's there's a lot, and I think even um, outside doing an MBA, there's even some shorter courses that are available, certainly, like certainly. you know, finance for non-financial managers, mm -hmm. just so you can have an appreciation of certain mm. business principles. Even the leadership as well, mm. it's absolutely critical mm. because yes. that's not taught in yes. schools. So you know, that's you're pharmacology, you know how drugs work, but are you a leader? Can you marshal a few staff members? Mm. You know, all of that. Yes. Yeah, and it actually becomes very critical. Um, looking at the current landscape, we've got over uh, I think 900 pharmacies registered now. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of competition. I think most of the pharmacies are, yes, in Harare, but there's been expansion, I think, into other regions and areas. I think Bulawayo should be, I think, second in terms of numbers. But how are you managing to, you know, sort of um, stay afloat? And what do you think of these numbers, uh, the mm -hmm. growing numbers of pharmacists? Yeah, I, I, th I think we, we, it would be good to add a little bit of perspective as well, to say where were we, say, around 2013. So I think we had around 300 pharmacies, 300 and something pharmacies yeah. back then. So the growth has been unbelievable. Yes. The expansion has been unbelievable. So in a very short space of time, um, we're talking, because on average, um, we're opening at least 100 and, okay, currently about 120 to 170 pharmacies a year. So they're about registering about 10 to 15 pharmacies a month. Mm. So I mean, of course it's variable. And... Um, Closure per year is about 10 to 15 for the entire year. So it's just an unbelievable expansion to the retail sector. So, so much space is being taken up. My own perspective, I think we've actually stepped into the realm of super competition where, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a bloodbath. It's what, we, what they would call the red ocean. The pharmacy is everywhere. Yeah. And you can't um, exactly to take away anyone's opportunity and ask someone else not to open a pharmacy. If it's their dream, it's their dream. But I, yeah, I think we've stepped into the realm of super competition and I, I do think you, you're working for each sale, you're struggling to retain your clients because there's more convenience. If someone can walk a few, a less steps to get to, the, to a pharmacy and just... So I, I do think we've stepped into super competition. I, I do think um, it's not... Um, 
as amazing a business as it was literally yeah. 10 years ago. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I think, a totally different uh, business. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a number of pharmacists that I have spoken to, uh, I think 10 years ago, could you could run, uh, I think, a very profitable pharmacy, mm-hmm. whether it's high density, medium density, exactly, um, yeah, or low density. But now it all feels like we're scrambling for the same, um, I think, mm-hmm. few customers. Yes, we want more pharmacies overall in terms of the population, but I feel we're not... They're not spread out enough. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, I mean, you go into CBD in town. I mean, there's a pharmacy every few shops. Mm-hmm. Some are even next door to each other. So it's a bit of a nightmare where you're even wondering, hey, mm-hmm. how do you manage with this? But just speaking of the numbers, yes, you've spoken about the geographical constraints. The other issues that keep coming up are even things like remuneration and uh, paying of locums, salaries of pharmacists. How is that being managed, I think, considering all the competition? Well, that is a highly contentious issue because um, people go back to when we had our boom mm-hmm. just recently. So you, you're going back to around 2013, 2014 when the nation was financially really growing and, you know, people think back. But as well, you know, if you go back to around 2008, how much were people earning? So I think the most important thing is the ma- macro environment really does determine, is the major determinant of everything because... Yeah. Everything has to start from how well is the individual business performing. Mm-hmm. So say you go to the accounting profession, for example. Accountants don't earn the same. If you're working for a bigger firm, you, yeah, you probably have more responsibility. So for us as health professionals, uh, yeah, unfortunately we sort of have a generic uh, pay structure where we all have similar expectations, even for locums. Locums, I mean, just for the interest of the public being when you say, you say as a pharmacist you're not available to, to do your hours and then you ask someone to come in and cover for you and pay them yeah. an hourly, hourly wage. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately we do have a generic pay structure and then that's what blinds us a lot. You then stop looking at the performance of the individual business and you start looking at what's the industry performing. But how much are you bringing in on a daily basis, on a monthly basis? That's also quite critical. So... Uh, Looking at the industry, people have expectations, and then you come back down to the business, and can the business afford those yeah. salaries? So that's, that's a different question altogether, and mm. there needs to be that reconciliation. Mm. Yes. And I think there definitely does need to be a relationship sometimes between what the business earning and also what they can also um, pay out and remunerate its people. Because I think that's just the difficult part. Mm-hmm. You're also now in an industry where there are also a lot of corporates that are coming in, mm-hmm. and, and soon enough you're going to you know, get a lot of maybe independent pharmacies uh, really, I, I think, shy away and reduce mm-hmm. the numbers. So that's also a big, uh, I think, challenge in the industry. No doubt, definitely. Um, corporates, corporates have a lot of financial muscle because yeah. the way the industry is structured at the moment is it's highly fragmented. So it's a lot of individual owners, different owners. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I mean, we've sort of moved away from the era where we had those big pharmacy chains, yeah, yeah, geomedics spread across, all across the country. We still have a few of those right now, but um, high, right now the industry is highly fragmented. So mm-hmm. even when you come at association level and you want to make decisions, you know, it's a lot of, it's, I mean, we've got a, close to a thousand pharmacies right now. And I think the ownership is, is highly, it's, it's definitely quite different. So you've got a lot of different opinions. Yeah. 
So it's it's really quite interesting, and mm. it depends on the opinion of who you're asking. Mm. It always differs. Yeah. yeah, and I also find the level of participation differs. Remember, not all uh, all mm-hmm. owners are part of some of these associations. So you find maybe it's a certain group of pharmacists that mm-hmm. are involved, whether it's just you know the regulatory processes or just even industry issues and matters, and trying to raise you know certain uh, awareness mm-hmm. and issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, a lot of our we, we we sort of operate at arm's length when it comes to collective decisions. Mm. Yeah, um, we do have associations and whatnot, but the participation of the members is also another issue. If you ask a committee member, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's, it's it's quite an interesting, and they they, they also do have their reasons for not being active members of these associations. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's quite an interesting question. Mm-hmm. So speaking of uh, like some of the associations, are they, okay, you were part of the executive committee, mm-hmm. say of CPA, the Community Pharmacists Association, are they also delivering what they set out to do, in your opinion? Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that's a very interesting question. And I'd say yes or no. So this is my personal opinion based on, on my experiences. Um, firstly, I think they're doing a great job in terms of um, they've really changed a lot of things in the industry, attempting a lot. Um, Community Pharmacists Association has done a lot, you know, has even engaged government recently yeah. for the betterment of the pharmacists. So I, I think they, they do put in a lot of work. You know, it's quite interesting, like when I was in the committee, say, because this is basically voluntary. So people are basically taking a time out of your personal time to do association work and some of it is quite a lot. Um, so, so what happens is people come up with initiatives. Unfortunately, because I think the one thing that people, that as members we forget is that um, the association is literally the members. It's not the committee members, it's yeah. the members. So we come up with initiatives and then you ask for the involvement of the members mm. and then that's when people sort of shy away. Mm. So as well, the energy levels for the committee members because it's like five to eight committee members per association, they can't shoulder all the work, they can't do all of it. Mm. So in terms of that, you know, there's that part that's lacking but they do have a lot of initiative. Mm. Where there, are, there would be some reservations is when we have a crisis in the industry. So you have a crisis that comes up, members do put forward, you know, their complaints and then response to, to those crises is, is you know, it's, it's, yeah, some, some don't find it as satisfactory. So it's more like um, whatever initiatives they come up with as the committee members, they execute flawlessly. But crisis management, you know, is there are different opinions floating around that. Yeah, so the reason I ask, it's more from an angle that, okay, what more would you want to see? I think from some of these associations, because they are present, they're recognized even by other bodies, mm-hmm. and they could play, I think, a, a, quite a big role mm-hmm. in changing a number of, uh, I think, issues and uh, dealing with a number of constraints that we face as an mm-hmm. industry. Yeah. Yeah. So for for me, uh, for starters, I think our crisis management has to be. We need to have some protocols for that. I think I also do think, um, in terms of strategy and long term outlook. I don't see much in terms of strategy documents. What are we really trying to achieve? It's sort of as if we, you come up with a committee for three years and then you're pressing the yeah. reset button. So, and then, I mean, the interpretation of, um, of, of the whole intention of the whole association 
differs with a new committee, new new chairperson. So I, I do think we need a long-term outlook, long-term strategy, mm-hmm. understand exactly what we're trying to achieve. And then, you know, the committee members might vary along the way. But I, I don't see much in terms of long-term strategy. I, I just see short-term, three years, committee comes in, they just handle what's, what's going on there and long-term. So I, I do want to see us to have more of a long-term strategy and outlook yeah mm-hmm. and then just moving away from from uh, i think the association and thanks so much i think for just unpacking at that mm-hmm. let's just go back to talking about just the retail pharmacies mm-hmm. how do you create um a business uh, that actually stands out still in this day and age because in Arai, sometimes it does feel like look there are a lot of places yes that um, mm-hmm. businesses have popped up and for yourself you've now managed to work on your brand for at least a good seven and a half years which is also quite good most businesses don't make it even mm. beyond two years or four years. So uh, how do you build a successful brand? Okay. Um, I'd say first I have to go back to the, the, the basics of retailing. So just forget the pharmacy bit. Uh, because sometimes as health professionals, we tend to think we, we, we're a little special because I don't know for what reason. But it's literally yeah. just a retail business. So your basics of retailing... Do, do take um, the front row. So it's mm-hmm. basically, um, are you getting your locations right? Are you putting your retail pharmacy in the right area? Are you stocking enough? And one of the major challenges we've had is because it's a highly fragmented industry, everyone's just trying, because just to diverge a little bit, I think as pharmacists or as health professionals, we tend to sort of have generic dreams. So you... I mean, you get your degree, you become a pharmacist. Yeah. The next thing is, I want to open my own pharmacy. Oh, mm-hmm. fair and fine. That's what the rest of the class thinks. <laughs> so, 6,200 pharmacists are thinking, I also want to have my own pharmacy. Yeah. So, that's and 200 then, coming a year with the same dream. Exactly. And then, yeah, probably want to have a bit of a chain. So, maybe three or four or five spread across the nation. Mm-hmm. And then I want to move into wholesale. Yeah. So, we're all congesting on the same dream and it becomes a little bit difficult. So... Um, yeah, we are in that super competition phase, in my opinion. And um, so I do think the basics of location... So undercapitalization is one of the biggest issues. That's where I was trying to get to. Yeah. yeah, because you just basically try and open the doors. You know, just say, let me start trading tomorrow. So you get a little bit of money or you know, a small partnership. Just barely open the doors, and then you probably need to work up maybe four or five years to build up the capital for an operating business. Mm. So you don't have enough stock on day one, and you, yeah, you sort of have to take a pay cut and build up the business. So it's so for you to be really successful, I do think. Let's summarize now. I'd say your location has to be good. Yeah. I think your capitalization. And I do think you need genuine business skill, you know, to really understand what business is really about. Because, yeah, some of us just automatically get into it without really understanding that your knowledge as a health professional is not the same as knowledge as a business professional, even the decisions that you come to. So, yeah, I think, and I I also do think within the the confines of the law as it is, there's a lot of scope. Mm. I mean, so as health professionals... We don't market as liberally as other professions. Yes. We, there's certain restrictions. Mm-hmm. But if you were to ask more, most pharmacists, are they utilizing the framework that's there to the maximum? Mm-hmm. You know, some just have n- not done any marketing whatsoever, and then they complain about the yeah. marketing restrictions and all of that. So 
I, I do think there's a lot of scope because we do see it from the market leaders that there's a lot of marketing going on, legal marketing, I must say, and yeah. you do learn a lot that you can, there is still a lot to do within the, the current setup that, that we're in. Hmm. Yes. And what I found, I think, over the years when it comes to marketing, a number of pharmacies are also now trying to put themselves online, mm-hmm. uh, just in a way to promote the business, rather, exactly. because, as opposed to advertising, because I know mm-hmm. advertising is always frowned up upon by sometimes you know the regulator because mm-hmm. they're quite fussy in terms of our industry so it's quite nice where you're seeing the evolution of this um, mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. and more pharmacies actually even trying to go online on social media engage with their customers mm-hmm. uh, more yeah. exactly exactly it's becoming more interactive and Zimbabwe is going online yeah. more and more I think it's if you just turn a blind eye you might you might miss it but there's a lot that's happening online as it is and it's generating more business mm-hmm. be it retailing or you know Say one of the most interesting sectors is, is, is the dental sector. There's a lot of good, there are a lot of interesting things going on there online, and you know people are, are finding a way to market the brand in a legal way. Yes. So it's about utilizing what you have to the maximum. Yes, no, definitely. I think mm-hmm. I've seen a couple of the dental guys. I think exactly uh, showcasing the work that they've done, mm-hmm. and there's a way I think to do it because look, I think with some of these laws and regulation, how they've mm-hmm. come about is because of maybe certain issues that mm-hmm. might have happened at one point in time, which ruins it, I think, for everyone else. Exactly, but, exactly. But uh, I think we shouldn't also be afraid, I think, to mm-hmm. open ourselves up, uh, up there and put ourselves out there. Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree with you completely. Yeah. Yes. And talking about, uh, there's a point that you just mentioned where you mentioned undercapitalization. I think that's hurting a number of uh, pharmacists. Mm-hmm. You're finding a lot of pharmacists, whether it's even just young or people like what you said, don't have enough capital to run a business, mm-hmm. are getting into all sorts of deals. Are you also observing that? No, certainly, certainly. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult at the moment in the country to, to raise capital. Um, so some, some get lucky, some you, you get from your relatives, some are born into wealthy families, um, some get into partnerships. And so I, I think it's an issue of leverage. Because I think also understanding business as a as business without the the pharmacy part of it, um, there's a certain level to which you need to borrow. You need to raise your own capital to a certain extent. So, without that knowledge, you you get into the worst deals possible. And then, I mean, you might be you might operate open doors for three four years, but it will certainly catch up if you don't start your business with the right foundation. So I think it's absolutely important that people also get a little bit of appreciation of what business is. And, um, you know, in all this and the economic issues that we're facing, um, people also do then forget the concept of return on investment because the pharmacy business is quite expensive. The inventory costs alone are quite, are quite high. So people do invest a lot of money and they do need to get a return on investment. But that hasn't, uh, no one's focusing on that. Right now, the focus is on keeping the doors open, so survival. So there are a lot of concepts, but undercapitalization, yes, does lead, in my opinion, to the most closures or even just your financing model before you start your business. Um, if, it's in, if it's the wrong model, if you, your payback period or it's just too tight, then you won't make it in the long yeah. term. I think just uh, besides thinking of the right now in terms of operations, I mm-hmm. think of other pharmacists, so say, some who have come before us. Mm-hmm. And then you look at also some of the pharmacists heading into retirement. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you wonder that, is this still quite a viable business model to go into retirement with? Because some, like you've said, it, it is heartbreaking mm-hmm. when you see someone, I think, lose uh, their business and mm-hmm. they could even be the breadwinner mm-hmm. at times. 
Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. I, 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 I think you need to get your basics of retailing correct to survive. So if you have your capital sorted, your location sorted, and your business principles and business practices sorted, then it might be viable long term. Yeah. But I think for the majority of the pharmacies and pharmacists, you know, I, I think there's a lot of struggle in the business in the mm-hmm. industry. Yeah, based on variable number of reasons. Yeah. So yes. overall, uh, Brian, sorry, before we move on to the next point, you still think that retail is still a viable business model to earn revenue as a pharmacist? Um, I, I think a lot of people will be dissatisfied with the returns. Okay. From I mean, looking from the outside in, it looks as if, I mean, who wouldn't need their medication? But yeah. um, when we say the market is small, it's, when you look at, say, you say you look at Zimbabwe, and, uh, you know, probably about 18 million or so in the population, yeah. and then you factor out how many are in the rural areas, so probably remove about a 60% chunk. Yeah. So from the 40%, and then... We remove, say, say the children, say those below 22 or so, and then you know that really divides the market. And then for those that are that remain, how many are formally employed, and gainfully so? So when you really crunch the numbers, you see that we're probably fighting for say um, two million people, two million clients or so. When yeah. you really do the math, it's, it's, that's what we call a small market. So I, I do think long-term with the super competition, the profit margins will keep getting squeezed each time. And in the next 10 years, yeah, it's going to be a different story because, yeah, we add maybe another one, 160, yeah. 170 pharmacies a year. And Jeez. yeah. Oh, I don't know. Tough one, I think, there, Brian. I think uh, mm-hmm. there are going to be a lot of businesses. I think they're going to be squeezed um, mm. with some of the corporates coming in. That's going to also usher in oh, yeah, yeah. issues and yeah. challenges um, to most of the independent pharmacies. So I think there's a lot mm-hmm. uh, happening there. So I'm sorry, we're about to just round up here. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to ask, um, what are some of the recommendations that you can have to maybe the industry and also various stakeholders in terms of what you want to see so that we can just improve efficiency and service uh, delivery for our patients? Okay, so I, I think uh, from a government regulatory level, like the financial institutions and the RBZ, I, I do think it's imperative that we give adequate funding foreign currency funding because it's such a critical sector and it's people's lives at stake. So issues of um, sustainable and reliable funding you know, are causing gaps in our supply chains. Not only that, but we also have issues of legacy debt. So our wholesalers have a lot of debt from previous years and whatnot. So we do need a lot of funding and support. So because if we then take care of all of that, then it means eventually drug prices will come down. Our international suppliers will trust us more, give us better terms for, for repayment. Because, yeah, it did transition from account, from you know, 90-day accounts or so to sort of like cash on delivery. Yes, so, yeah, all of those things do impact the, the price so I, of the, the final price of the product. So I do think it's, it's, it's really imperative that we, we get adequate funding. Um, I, do, I, I don't know if this is something that can be done, but I, I think we also need to look into how many pharmacists we're training per year if we're going to retain the value of the professional because back in the day, it used to be about 40 pharmacists from the HUSIT and a few coming from South Africa and whatnot, local students. And you know, so the, the industry could just absorb them quite nicely and salaries remained high and all of that. 
But um, right now, there are a lot of pharmacists coming through the system annually. Um, I, I'd say about close to 200 pharmacists a year. Definitely, yeah, yeah, we've got two local institutions training pharmacists now. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are being trained outside the country as well, and they have to come back. Yeah. Um, so we do sort of have a high supply of pharmacists. I won't say oversupply but a high supply. So that's impacting everything. So yeah. even if you do need cover, there's so many options available. So I, I'm not sure if it's something they can look into because as well, academia will say, you know, we're just training students. Mm-hmm. People can also migrate. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that, those are some of the key issues that we need to look at. Yes. Yeah. I think with the incoming pharmacists, they also need to be aware of um, where else they can practice. Mm-hmm. But I know community will always absorb the majority. Yes, the generic yeah, dream, as I like to put it. They'll always, I think, absorb the majority exactly. of them. So exactly. it's always a tough one, yeah. So yeah. I think there's quite a lot to balance and just hopefully, look, things do improve. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, you know, thank you so much always, mm-hmm. I think, for your service and just being able to practice and, you know, um, deliver medications to mm-hmm. patients and just put yourself out there. Yeah. I think that's always very important because when someone is uh, sick or loved, uh, is a loved one who's sick mm-hmm. and unwell, it's just important to be able to get medication and, exactly. and just get that help and, you know, that counseling from mm-hmm. a qualified person. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but thanks again, uh, Brian, for coming through. Uh, any final parting words that you have for our audience? I, I also sort of see it a bit of an opportunity with when it comes to veterinary medicines. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, we have a lot of uh, veterinary medicine general dealerships opening up. Um, the, the number would be a little bit shocking. I think probably close to five, six hundred. So if that was completely pharmacy owned, that could be five, six hundred pharmacists absorbed in the industry so there's sort of a bit of an opportunity but yeah I I, I do think um, the retail pharmacy sector is becoming highly competitive and maybe we do need the socio-economic status of the country to improve a little bit to to cater for for the expansion and and everything yes yeah no definitely I think things will definitely improve with time Mm -hmm. and look I guess at the end of the day time will tell so hopefully we'll yes and then we'll see what happens yes yeah okay all right thanks so much Brian Mm -hmm. again for coming through to our podcast and we appreciate it thank you Nyasha thank you all right okay it's a pleasure all right thank you everyone for watching and tune in uh, every week for new episodes